Buenos dias. Thank you for joining us for Bienvenidos, a CBA DBA limited series podcast celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. A term that, as you will hear, can be both celebratory and controversial, as well as inclusive yet isolating. Join Annie Martinez, the current second vice president of the Denver Bar Association and past president of the Colorado Hispanic Bar Association, as she explores the backgrounds and careers of some of Colorado's inspirational Hispanic and Latin lawyers. Hola, mi gente. Thanks for joining us for our last podcast in our series, Bienvenidos, dedicated to Hispanic Heritage Month for the CBA and DBA. We are near the end of the month, and it has been such a joy to be able to share with all of you some topics and people near and dear to our community. Today's discussion will be taking a forward-looking lens. We've had previous discussions about what Hispanic Heritage Month is, the dearth of Hispanic changemakers in the form of attorneys and politicals in the state, and now we want to focus on what's going on in the community to change that, and how we can have our numbers be reflective of the large percentage of the population that Hispanics comprise in Colorado. And so on that note, we'll be talking to significant changemakers in our community and the organization they represent. Law School, Yes We Can. In the studio today, we have the pleasure of hearing from Judge Christine Arguello and Maria Arias. Judge Arguello is the founder of Law School Yes We Can, amongst many other things that she'll be able to talk to us about. And Maria Arias runs her own consulting firm and serves as the executive director of Law School Yes We Can. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the studio. Hello. Hello. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited. Um, So I'm sure both of you are aware that after the census has come out, um, Hispanics, Latinos make up over 20% of the population in Colorado. And... um, Attorney regulation last year released a report showing that Hispanic Latino attorneys really only make up 6% of the attorney population in Colorado. And so we know that our community faces unique barriers into getting into college, getting into law school, and then making it in this career. And so I really wanted to talk to both of you about what Law School Yes We Can is, what it does, and the work that you all are doing to really change that pipeline. And so let's start with Judge Arguello. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up with your baby of Law School Yes We Can. Well, hello, everybody. I'm really pleased and and honored to have been invited to do this podcast with you all. Uh, Most of you know me, I think, but I'm a Colorado native, um, was born in a little town that is now a ghost town called Thatcher between La Junta and Trinidad. Uh, Grew up mostly in Buena Vista, but had a dream as a 13-year-old when I read a magazine article that I wanted to become a lawyer and I wanted to go to Harvard Law School. And I was fortunate that I have a little bit of a brain, but I'm more fortunate that my parents instilled in me a strong work ethic because I put my nose to the grindstone, became the best student I could become. And I was fortunate that God blessed me and I was able to accomplish my dream. I graduated from Harvard Law School in 1980. I have had many different jobs in the law. I love the law. Um, But one of the things I realized when I became partner at Holland and Hart was that there were very few of us that were actually in the legal profession um, as Latinos and very even fewer that were in the law firms. And it was kind of that experience um, where Holland Hart said, wow, you're the first partner of color we've ever had in our entire history. And I, I did many other things after that. But when I came back to Colorado, uh, and I was looking, I said, things haven't changed much. You know, it's been 20 years since I was a partner at Holland and Hart. Then it was 30 years. And I said, and nothing really has changed. And that was kind of the inspiration for law school. Yes, we can. That's, that's such an inspiring story. It's so cool. <laughs> uh, Maria, could you give us a little bit about yourself, please? Absolutely. And I'm also thrilled to be here with Judge Argueo, who is uh, my role model, friend, and mentor. Um, I'm actually an immigrant from a tiny little town in Santana, Miami, Chuacan, Mexico. But I grew up on the south side of Chicago. (laughs) And um, I also am an attorney. I, like the judge, um, put my nose to the grindstone and was a scholarship baby through both college at DePaul University and Northwestern Law, and I graduated in 1986, so not far behind judge. Um, I had the experience of working at a very large law firm in Chicago and becoming an income partner, and even though there were more women and a few women of color, there was a dearth of Latinos and Latinas, the same, Um, and also being a working mother. 
Um, I decided to move in-house to corporations like AT&T and other large companies um, to be an in-house counsel, but very quickly moved into managing attorneys um, and instance in government affairs and actually ran cable systems for Comcast um, and was tapped to establish Comcast's first diversity department across the entire enterprise. So after doing that for many years, in 2018, I decided to retire and move back to Colorado because this is where I'd spent most of my professional career. And through a mutual friend, met Judge Argueo, and immediately we clicked because <laughs> we're very similar in our passion, I think, and our commitment um, to excellence. And when I went to uh, a, a great event, um, it, it was called It Takes a Village, and I saw so many of the fellows from law school, Yes, We Can, and in particular, a fellow who had his mama allí con él. And she had a serape, and she just reminded me, I mean, I have chills right now talking about it, of my little town in Mexico. Because, I mean, I've been back pre-COVID, right before it hit, and they still have pigs and cows and chickens. But there's schools, and, you know, it's really developed. Um, it's a dichotomy of our my, my home country. And I got involved. And then at a certain point, Judge recruited me to become the executive director. And I thought, well, I know how to run things. I've never <laughs> raised money. But when you believe in something, it's easy to ask. And so that's been my journey with Law School Yes, We Can for the past three years. And I will just say we are so blessed to have Maria <laughs> at our helm. No, Maria's great. I've seen the organization really even, it's always been great, but it has really taken, risen to a next level in the last couple of years. And that's definitely with you know, you're added in leadership, Maria, for sure. Thank you. I think it helps that, um, you know, having been in a large law firm as well as worked in a legal clinic, and then um, also having been in corporate America and understanding what businesses want and the return on investment. Um, but, but it's hard. It's hard to raise money for more mm-hmm. lawyers. Um, <laughs> and, you know, because yeah. it is what it is. But I think that with the racial and social justice issues that are occurring, it's really our opportunity. Um, and I think that many of the large Denver law firms and other organizations are very focused on ensuring that we have social justice in the legal system as well. Yeah, definitely um, equity is a, a higher topic of conversation at a lot of these organizations and entities, and maybe it wasn't, wasn't as high or didn't even make the list five, 10, 15 years ago. And it's a lot different now. We're in different circumstances. And it seems that, you know, Law School Yes We Can is positioned in a prime spot to be able to take advantage of that new focus on equity and things of that nature to really work on that pipeline. And so I wanted to ask Judge Arguello, before we jump into the here and now, could you give us a little bit of history about Law School Yes We Can and kind of how it started, its inception, and then we'll jump headfirst into where we are now. Sure, I'd love to do that. Um, Law School Yes We Can came into existence in 2014. We were brainstorming its development in 2013, and it came about as a result of, I go across the state speaking to schools, uh, elementary, um, middle, and high schools, giving my story as an inspiration to say, look, I was you. I used to be able to say 10 years ago. No, I can't even say how many years ago because they wouldn't relate. Um, <laughs> but I said, I was once a little Latina whose parents didn't even graduate from high school. And in one generation, if you are not afraid to dream big and work hard, you can go from that background to being a lawyer to being a judge. So I, I would do that as inspiration. But one time, um, DU Law School had a program um, that was put together by one of my, now my former law clerk, Lalani um, Gray. Uh, via Martinez at the time. And it was to bring high school students into the school for a weekend, for a Saturday, and to talk to them about law as a career. And I was one of the speakers, as was Roberta Ramirez and one of my law clerks, Dermot Lynch. And after that, Dermot and I started talking and Dermot said, Judge, a a one-day program isn't enough. We have to do something more concrete. And so he and Arya Vaughn, who is on our, they're both still on our board, and I they were my law clerks. We started talking and we, we just started developing this program. And I thought it was going to be simple. I was just going to go to the internet and, and do a Google search. And I was going to essentially plagiarize somebody's program. <laughs> <laughs> and we went on and realized there was nothing like this anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. And there were a few programs in like universities for their students. Mm-hmm. So we just developed and said, okay, we need mentors, but we can't have just one mentor because lawyers get busy. 
and we don't want the, the student drop. So we thought, well, three mentors would be good because you could get one at, uh, at different stages in their career. So one senior over 10 years, one, one to 10 year, and then one law student because law students have just gone through the process. And I said, but mentoring isn't enough. We have to teach them all the skills that I had no clue. I had no idea what networking was all about. Um, until I got into the law, I said, I want them to know I, what what the importance of networking is and how you do it. Mm-hmm. And so we, we and, and I said other things too about just understanding themselves. I never took a personality indicator test till I was like in my 40s. And I did the MBTI and I thought this is, they, they need to understand this about themselves. And so we, we decided we had to have workshops. We had to have exposure programs where they would get to meet other lawyers and they would learn how to network. Um, and that's how it came about. And when you say, you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't such a, uh, an attention to racial and social equity. In 2014, there wasn't either. Yeah. We struggled to keep our doors open. I mean, we didn't have any problem with volunteers. I had plenty of lawyers <laughs> willing. I mean, when you have three, three mentors, you need a lot of lawyers. Yeah. And we had no problem. We had a waiting list for lawyers because they either understood what a difference mentoring would make because they had a mentor or they didn't have a mentor and realized mm-hmm. how, how much better or easier it would have been for them. So we had a lot of volunteer work, but trying to get money mm-hmm. because there just wasn't the focus on that. And I will say a few of the law firms came together and they did support us, but we were, the board members were putting in their own money to just try yeah. to keep it afloat. And we could not afford an ED and we couldn't get grants because grant um, funders won't give it to you. I was told you won't be in existence in three years because you don't have any full-time staff. Wow. And uh, well, that's like like slapping me with a white glove, challenging me. <laughs> yeah. I said, I will show you. I will be in existence. <laughs> but it was not easy. And we were just so fortunate when we were able to raise enough money. And unfortunately, it was because my husband died and he wanted a memorial fund for um, law school. Yes, we can. And that's when we were finally able to raise enough money to hire Maria part-time. And then COVID was actually very good to us because I think it, it, it is part of what raised the racial and social mm-hmm. equity issues. And now I think we were positioned perfectly. It's our seventh year. We have two students who have graduated from law school. We have five that are in law school. And we have 15 that took the LSAT prep course. Oh, that was the other important thing. We realized that the biggest obstacle to entrance into law mm-hmm. school is that LSAT exam. And our kids are pretty much all lower income. They can't afford the $1,500 to $2,000 to pay for a prep course. And so that was part of what we, we said, we have to raise monies. And the first monies we raised, we said, we told the law firms, 100% of your donation will go to scholarships for the, the LSAT prep. And so we, if they're with us and they've shown commitment um, for the first two years, and now that we've expanded the program to admit more than freshmen, it's if you're just with us for a year, we will pay for your LSAT prep. Wow. And it's made a huge difference. Yeah, I remember the LSAT's a big barrier. Maria? The other thing I'd like to add and expand upon what Judge said was our curriculum really is focused on the personal and professional development as well as pre-law. We have had a great relationship with CU Law over the years where they allow our fellows to go to their pre-law boot camp um, for free, again, in waiving the fees as well as using their facilities and with DU Uh, professors from DU and and CU teaching some of our courses, which is really important. Um, And the other thing that we've done recently now with the ability that I'm on board and that we have our first uh, full-time employee, thanks (laughs) to the the fundraising that we've been able to do over the past couple of years is we're looking at current issues. So we're doing panels. Last year, we did a panel of all-female general counsels in Denver. Um, This year, we're looking at doing a panel on immigration and the impact in our communities. Um, We're also, we're really big on role models. So we always have men and women of color, as well as our fellows speak at our events to train them in public speaking and, you know, dealing with all of those issues and, you know, the real issues of culture shock and the imposter syndrome that happen. Um, We're hoping to add those in the spring of this year because I was in first generation. My parents were teachers in Mexico, but I walked out of college my first week and went home because of the shock. And Mm -hmm. my parents were like, you're going back. (laughs) And 
you know, it is, that was 1979 and our fellows going to school in 2021 are facing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so just something to let them know that we all go through this and we all carry it to a certain extent, feeling we have to be better or work harder, Um, but how to manage it so that they get the confidence to really conquer the insecurities that come with not being exposed and not having the same socioeconomic status of most of the students in their classes. Yeah, I remember even experiencing that. And I was, I went to University of Miami for undergrad, so I was in a pretty diverse area. And I, my first week of college, I was like, the people I get along with are, are the staff. I'm, I'm talking with the, the cafeteria staff. I'm hanging out with the janitor. I'm not making friends with anyone because I just felt so out of place. And, and this was in Miami. I can imagine some of our our friends and colleagues out there who've gone to schools in, in less diverse areas, how much more shocking it is. But it is true. And I, I graduated college in, in 2008. And it was like that for me still. And our, our friends are going through it now. It just, it's, it's definitely a topic that, we, that it's great that this program has in its uh, curriculum, like you were saying, because it's something that gets forgotten. You think, oh, I just got to get in. And once I get in, then I, you know, I go to the next step. And we don't always remember the getting in step has all these little facets to it that are really difficult and really unique to that experience of being the first generation, whether it's first generation American, first generation college student. Um, there's a lot there to process and unpack that, I mean, I know I wish I would have had someone to talk to about it versus maybe like how you experienced and, and you judge where you just talk to your parents and we're like, this is so hard. Well, Miha, you can do it. Suck it up and go. You know, it's nice to know that there's that facet of it is in the curriculum, too, because it's a one of those intangibles that people sometimes forget. Right. And I've had um, a lot of the students because I pretty much mentor all of these students. I, I They're like my kids. Well, now my grandkids because I'm <laughs> my age. But they, t- they tell me that. They said, I can talk to my parents, but they don't understand because they've not gone even to college. Mm-hmm. And they'll just say that, oh, you can do it. You're smart. You know? yeah. but, but there's no one that, that has gone through it the way they are going through it. And that's why the mentors, I think, are so important. Um, they can reach out and I say, don't don't hide. If you're not doing well in a class, don't wait till you're failing it to mm-hmm. get in touch with us. Come, I had one student didn't know how to do a research paper. And her mentors said, okay, this is how you start. And they kind of walk them through that. And I also tell them, use the resources at the school. You're paying your tuition, so go to the English lab. Go to the science lab to make mm-hmm. sure that you're getting the benefit of that. But one of the most, uh, I, I remember asking at the beginning of the school year, what's been the toughest thing, you know, after they've been in school for two years? And they said, walking onto a campus where there is no one who looks like me. And then it was really hard during the last few years when people would come to, to class with the MAGA hats on. Mm-hmm. And they turn around and say, when are you going back home to one of my Hispanic students? I mean, it was, it, they were going through really tough times. And I think it was so important that they knew they had a community out here who was behind them, would have their back, would help them get through it. Yeah. And one of the safety nets that we have in the program is reports, right? I mean, I'm a big data geek. And so <laughs> um, having the reports and enforcing the requirement to submit monthly reports, both the mentor team as well as the fellows, and one of the mentors from the team is supposed to submit every month and a fellow a monthly report. And um, you know, not everybody submits it every month, but we get a, a good variety. But it is a great early warning system. So if mentors have not heard from their fellow or if a fellow has not heard from any of their mentors or one mentor who they really want to connect with, it's our way of being able to reach out and catch something because we've had – especially during COVID, we've had deaths from COVID, we've had fellows lose their house, we've had fellows, you know, the things that happen in life that just, um, you know, could cause them to drop out of school, we're there to keep them in school um, so that they can graduate. And one of the great things about our program is we have a we have an 81% retention rate in our program and a 97% college graduation rate, which when wow. you look at the demographics and the stats that's for our types of fellows, mm-hmm. that's just amazing. And it's because it's high touch, highly customized, and our classes aren't as large as we'd like them to be, but it's because we put so many resources into our fellows. But that goes back to resources and fundraising. If we had mm-hmm. more, we could admit more. more, which is our goal. Right, and I, I'd like to say it's, uh, Law School Yes We Can is a very structured program. When we say mentoring, 
they are required, the, the mentors and their fellow are required to meet once, well, before COVID, it was once in person a month. And then as many times by text or email or phone call as you can. And then we have the monthly reports. But the stats are essentially, I don't know if you, you've heard them, but for every 100 kids like our kids who start high school, they say 69 will graduate. I don't even believe that number mm-hmm. because I think it's lo- it's closer to 50%. But of those that graduate from high school, so we lose about 40 to 50% of them before they even graduate high school. Of those who go on to college, 29 of those, um, only nine will end up, grad- uh, 20 will drop out by their second year and only nine will graduate. And that's why we focused, when we started law school, yes, we can, we focused on uh, Colorado high school graduates because mm-hmm. we figured they would stay in Colorado or they would come back to Colorado because those of us who who have a <laughs> have been raised here this is home yeah. and and I've gone away for career moves but I've always come back because yeah. Colorado is my home but we wanted to start them freshman year so that we could make sure they got through that first year because mm-hmm. that's when we lose most of the kids and we have now expanded the program we've been fortunate we got a a great uh grant this last year from western union i'll let maria tell you a little bit more about that um, which allowed us to expand our program but we did expand it beyond freshmen a few years ago because i realized we were losing kids who were in their sophomore or junior year who didn't know they wanted to become lawyers until later or didn't know about us. And so we expanded to admit sophomores and juniors. This year, for the first time, we expanded to admit seniors and even some students who have graduated college already who now want to become lawyers. But we were only able to do that because of the the, um, contribution and the support that we get from the community. And I'll, I'll toss it back over to Maria for that. Yes, usually our class sizes are 15 to 17. And then what we, um, with the Western Union grant, we were able to increase to 23. So um, we, and it's really about resources because the incremental cost of every fellow is really the LSAT preparation, the Myers-Briggs, the emotional intelligence test, as well as support services, which is staff time, um, because we organize it all. And, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the other things that we've done, even in the year of COVID, is we launched a Young Professionals Network, um, which is comprised of law clerks, paralegals, young lawyers, or just individuals who have graduated and are interested in possibly going into the law. And so this is another great pipeline concept. And the YPN group actually has been an amazing extra set of arms and legs. They proctor our workshops because we do take attendance Mm -hmm. and they can only be excused if they get an excused absence from the judge. But the great thing about, you know, COVID and now using Zoom is we can record it. It's easier access because almost I I don't know a single fellow that doesn't work, even if they're going to school. And we did a survey a couple of years ago, and the average hours that they're working is at least 30. Mm -hmm. And we try to lead by example in terms of internships, which is another aspect of the program we've added in the past couple of years. And we have our first law school, Yes We Can, fellow, um, who's interning with myself and our program manager. Um, but it's just, it's an amazing program and it's, it's all about resources and we appreciate the generosity of the bar associations that have supported us as well as all of the law firms and our funders. It's really a unique, special thing that Colorado has that maybe hopefully other states will start to copy. <laughs> well, we I've talked to other states. I've talked to people in Miami. I've yeah. talked to people in Texas. Um, it's, it's a lot of work and, um, uh, we're just fortunate that we had a group of people here who were willing to put their heart and soul into this because they realized how important it was. But one of our goals is eventually is to try to take it out to other states, yes. to other other regions maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, Texas could do with probably two or three of them as yeah. large as it is. Um, but um, that's that's our long-term, you know, you were thinking long-term goal. That Our long-term goal would be to to have this replicated in other states. And I've offered to share everything because we built it from the ground up. I said, I will share everything that we've learned through this. And as I said, we were blessed to have Maria come in um, because you're absolutely right. This program was a good program, but we're we're a superstar program now Mm -hmm. because of Maria's leadership. Well, and I think a big part of it too, Judge, and I, I know you're being humble there, but it wasn't just a group of people that came together. It was a group of people that came together behind you. Oh. And so, you know, not to 
forget that part and to highlight that a little bit. I mean, Colorado's lucky to have you and well, to have you, you as as a daughter of this state who kept coming back and who saw this need and you know took it took it into battle, kind of like leading the charge. Kind well, of thing. And, and and I'm blessed in the sense that it was you know I had to get my my feet under my ground with my my judgeship. I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure I was as good a judge as I could be, but I realized after I'd been a judge for five years. I said, I have a soapbox. People mm-hmm. will listen to me now yeah. that wouldn't listen to me before. <laughs> and I have this credibility. And so I feel very blessed that I was able to take that, my role, and move it forward with, but it was, I mean, it was, I'm the founder, I'm the figurehead, but I had a lot of people behind me to help put this program together. And I, I like that uh, without realizing this ties in a little bit to stuff we've talked about in other podcasts in terms of like Hispanic and Latinos and Latinas. When we have um, this position and this uh, ability to give back, we do. Right. You know, we see this. Uh, we see a what's that Spider-Man quote with great power comes great responsibility. And it's such a unifying thread amongst our community of, oh, I got a step higher than the generation behind me. I have to pull up the ladder. I'm not going to just go up for myself. And it's it's so beautiful to see that that thread across all of our podcasts, you know, in our community, what we've been discussing where everyone feels the same way of like, well, I am privileged. I was blessed and I'm going to go do something with it. I'm not going to just take care of myself, have a good job and be happy. I know that I can give back to the community that gave so much to me and it's just really nice to see that that it just continues we're all we all are kind of like that maybe it's something about being latina hispanic that we just we recognize that um the importance of family and our community is family right and and one thing i remember as a little girl um seeing something about the crabs in the bucket and that how instead of helping them get out they were grabbing each other mm-hmm. and pulling them back and i said no that's not how it has to be if god gives you so many blessings. Your job is to reach back and help bring up the mm-hmm. rest of the folks behind you. And and I think all of us, that's how we feel. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that you, you hit a point, Annie, on the values of the Latino community, which is, you know, family and culture, our music, um, our fellowship, and and our faiths. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, one, I, I want to go back to a point that um, you mentioned about Judge. I use her power, and our board uses her power. <laughs> like when we need a favor, when mm-hmm. we need something, well, Judge Arguello <laughs> would really like it if you can dot, 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 fill in the blank. And, um, you know, that was a skill that I learned in corporate America using the power of, you know, the the EVPs or, or the CEO and basically saying, you know, this is really important and this is a priority. And um, the judge is is our leader and our role model and um, puts in as much time as the rest of us because I'd also like to do a shout out to the original board members and our current board members. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a great resource. They lend their expertise. The president of our board, Jason Marquez, dedicates even one of his um, employees, his office manager, to help us with our website because wow. we don't have mm-hmm. that talent in-house. And so our board, um, they really, really support us in a great way. And um, my job has been to take work off of what they used to do because it used to be a very much working board. And it, I think it's now, again, just like the program is evolving um, to to what standard nonprofit boards are. Mm-hmm. And what I really enjoy about our board, too, is the diversity, not just in race and ethnicity and gender and gender identity, et cetera. It's really about age, too, mm-hmm. because we serve a young constituent group, and we've added a couple of younger uh, board members, one who's in law school, two recent grads, and their ideas, and our program manager is a millennial. And so <laughs> their ideas really help us stay in touch with what's important to our fellows and how to communicate to them in a certain way, as well as, you know, I mean, social is the future, right? And mm-hmm. we need them because. Gosh, the internet didn't even exist for many years when I was a lawyer. Um, we so. didn't even have computers when I no. went to law school. <laughs> I mean, if you did have them, they filled a whole building, you know. It was, yeah. It's a very different world today. So, Maria, talk to us a little bit about what, um, about like how the fundraising has been in these last few years. It has gotten us into this position. I know Judge Arguello mentioned um, the gift from 
her husband's passing, but in terms of just what kind of outreach efforts have, have been going on to really help raise that pool so that the organization can get more and more formalized and be able to have, you know, touch more individuals like we were saying earlier? Well, I think first and foremost, you know, we have an annual fundraiser, which initially was focused on um, just a small set of firms and for scholarship money. But Mm -hmm. for an organization to grow and be successful, you need operational support, which is very difficult to get. Um, So our annual fundraiser really has, I think, been a signature event for us, like it is for many other organizations Mm -hmm. with prominent speakers, as well as the opportunity to network. And with COVID, um, our, we literally last year had to turn things around and do an in-person event, make it virtual, mm-hmm. and we didn't have the ability or the technology for a live streamed event with a short period of time. Gotcha. So um, we did it virtually, pre-taped, but this year we did a live live streamed event, and in order to facilitate the networking, we had our fellows lead the breakout rooms, which was a huge um, success that's because awesome. that's what people they want to understand what the money is going for and also yeah. to meet tomorrow's leaders so the the signature event but also Colorado Gives Day which we hope mm, many yeah. of, um, of those listeners will participate in and consider donating to law school yes we can it's an annual day of giving here in Colorado um, but a lot of outreach initially to you know mostly the the Denver law firms um, but we've done a lot of outreach in terms of to as judge mentioned in Texas there's a program um, to the law schools here that have been very supportive to different organizations to different corporations to basically just getting our brand out there mm-hmm. because it it has evolved over time but I'm not sure people really understood the depth Mm-hmm. Um, and the structure to this program, it's like I tell people, this is not a mentoring program. This is really like being going to school. It's like a leadership development program. It's it's like what I've been through in corporate America where you have, you know, a year-long or two-year-long program and you have a capstone project. I mean, yeah. this, is, this, is, this has a lot of requirements in our fellow sign a contract. And when those who are considering funding our organization understand the depth And the statistics, even though we're small, I always say we're small but mighty Mm -hmm. if you look at our results. But it's just getting more organizations in Colorado and across Colorado, not just Denver Metro, Mm -hmm. to know about our program and to build bridges and collaboration um, because it's all about, you know, your brand and your Mm -hmm. history. And if I could say something, everyone, because we when we first started, it was Law School Si Se Puede. Mm-hmm. And we changed the name to Yes We Can because the United Farm Workers says that's our logo. Oh. <laughs> but they did give me, they gave me limited rights to use it to recruit our Hispanic students because mm-hmm. I said that is, that is such a symbolic statement Please, yeah. for especially Latinos. Um, but we are not a Hispanic program. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are broad. Our definition of diversity is very broad. What I really wanted to do was to level the playing field for anyone who needed to have it leveled. Mm-hmm. So we have now, under Maria's leadership, we've really made better inroads into, you know, with the San Carey Bar, with mm-hmm. with Apaba, you know, trying to get more more of the Asian students. We have a number, this year we've had a number of, of Muslims um, mm-hmm. who have applied women. And we're, we're very strong on the women. It's really interesting to me. We've always had probably about 70% women and only 30% men. Oh, wow. And I don't understand that, but it's, it's fine. I just want to make sure that we are doing all the outreach we need to do. But I just want everyone to understand that, that although it was Las Cusis Se Puede and now it's Yes We Can, we are more than just a Hispanic organization. Yeah. I, I think we have more Latinos apply because I'm the figurehead mm-hmm. and people relate to me. Um, but we would really appreciate the assistance to do outreach to all of our communities of color and and not necessarily even color we have white men in the program who have Mm -hmm. obstacles that they need to Mm -hmm. overcome no i agree completely and in fact um we had an application from a student who's uh, legally blind and Mm -hmm. we all everyone was like how are we going to accommodate the student i'm like well that's my job and so (laughs) we have an asian male that's legally blind and he's amazing. I mean, he's done in legislative internships here in Colorado. Oh, wow. And he was our 
um, keynote, our fellow keynote at a kickoff event we just had last week. And um, it's just really, as Judge mentioned, a very broad definition. And when you look at the stats in Colorado, Latinos are the largest minority. So mm-hmm. if we're going to be reflective of the community, that's what we're going to have. But as Judge mentioned, we're focused on further diversifying, which means we need to go further out into the community, which we've done. So for example, in October, um, we'll pro- we're going to do an outreach event to the Pueblo School District. And awesome. I made a contact in the San Luis Valley. And so it's like as we get more contacts throughout Colorado, we can broaden the base. And, you know, we have a growing Asian um, mm-hmm. and Pacific Islander population, as well as the black community and the Muslim community. And, you know, um, in our community sometimes and other communities of color, uh, students don't want to self-identify as, as being a, at mm-hmm. the LGBTQI community. So, you know, we have done some outreach to the um, the the all the diverse bar associations. Judge and I just presented, in fact, on the fourteenth, um, to really let them know that yeah. we are open for business and want their support. And really, we only have so many arms and legs, um, but to have them push out information about our program so we can continue to fur- further diversify the program because we all know that the more diversity you have, mm-hmm. the better your program's going to be. Yeah, definitely. Um, equity is for everyone, right? So just because, like you said, Maria, you know, we might be the biggest minority majority as Hispanics and Latinos in Colorado, we're all benefited when everyone amongst us does better and when everyone's included in that, that's that's so important. And you touched on something I wanted to to bring up and I'll throw it out to either of you. But I know very in, um, invested and has a lot of, you know, law school, yes, we can has a lot of supports in the metro area. But in terms of, you know, what other areas are you working in in Colorado? What are some of the maybe the high schools in other parts of the state? Or can you give us a little more information about that? Sure. Well, um, I we have done historically a lot of outreach to the Denver metro area area and the Aurora Public Schools. Mm -hmm. We're doing a lot more outreach to Southern Colorado, where we could possibly use some contacts in case any of our listeners have any, (laughs) is probably the mountain areas in Northern Colorado. And again, it's, we push out information to a master list of, you know, several hundred schools across the state. But I have always found when you're dealing, um, well, whether in business or in a nonprofit, that relationships are really important. So getting those contacts and following up and doing the outreach and collaboratively supporting yeah. each other's initiatives is really important. So we'd like, I think I'd like to go further east and north mm-hmm. and to west to the mountains. I think we've got Denver Metro South pretty covered, but we need to continue to expand. And we actually... Um, you know, there are surrounding states that we could easily, yeah. as Judge mentioned, incorporate into our program, New Mexico and Wyoming. And so it's really just a matter of getting all the resources that we have and adding additional support so that we can continue to grow. Because even though we have most of our fellows in the, the, the Colorado-based colleges, we have coast-to-coast. Mm-hmm. We have fellows that were at UPenn, we have in Chicago Loyola, we have one, we have a couple at Yale, Amherst, and Stanford oh, wow. in our program. So um, we cover coast to coast, Midwest, as well as Colorado. And I will say we've, we've really been able to develop better the relationship with CSU for mm-hmm. Collins. And so we have a lot of students who come from CSU for Collins. I just met with Fred Galvez, who is the new, I can't remember his title, but um, he's a lawyer. He was a law professor. He's a dear friend of mine. He just came up to meet with me because he's now been hired by CSU Pueblo to be the community liaison. Mm-hmm. And he would like to, to develop a pathways to law program like he had in California where he was teaching. Um, and we're, we're in talks about that right That's now. Awesome. So we're hopeful that we can make those inroads. It really is about relationships, though. It's finding someone in a in an area that works with the kids that we want to recruit who will give you know the information out to them so we we had a judge who was a mock trial coach in rifle colorado and um, he sent some of his students to us and two of the young ladies there um, who were both first generation um, just finished graduating from from um, cu and now they're getting prepared (laughs) to take their lsat and then to apply to law school uh, but we we really would like to get some of the smaller communities um, who have a good population and 
those kids just don't really think of themselves as mm-hmm. going to college even. Um, so it's, it's just get them interested in college first. And, and of course, if they sign on with our program, I tell the kids, I'm not making you sign in blood that you're going to be a lawyer. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to teach you what lawyers really do and what different areas of the law are. Because I went in with starry eyes. I thought everybody was a trial lawyer, you <laughs> yeah. know, what you saw on TV. Me too. And so, you know, I said, so you, and, and it's a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. Being a lawyer is not easy to do Mm-mm. and you may decide you don't want to do it and that's fine because what I want you to do is go in with your eyes wide open because it's an expensive proposition and if you're not going to like being a lawyer then you don't want to pay out the hundreds of thousands it's going to take you to get that degree so you know some of ours decide they want to go to grad school for accounting but they always for the most part they always go on to grad school at least which is good even if it's not law school mm-hmm. some have gone into medicine but our program as Maria mentioned is a leadership program yeah what, what every skill they learn in our program will make them a better professional matter where they, they choose to practice. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that curriculum is transferable. It's You're not sitting here learning towards. You're learning how to be authentically yourself in a system that wasn't necessarily designed for you and how to be more strategic about certain things, being introduced to stuff like you mentioned at the beginning, networking. Yeah, I think my first networking event was deer in the headlights. I was like, I... This is so overwhelming. I think I hid in the bathroom for about seven minutes (laughs) in my first networking event when I came out to Colorado. I was so overwhelmed. And definitely it seems like the curriculum is is making each individual that joins the organization a better version of themselves. And that can go, that goes as far as they'll take it and that'll go anywhere they take it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's great to see the evolution of our fellows because, you know, they go through an application process and they, three of our board members, um, you know, interview them and Mm -hmm. we have certain standards and, you know, even kind of just in our new class, like, I can, I, I, you can just see from how they present themselves when they introduce themselves where they are. Mm-hmm. And then by the time they graduate from our program, they're in a very different place. Yeah. Um, because some are, a lot of our fellows are used to being in student council and in leadership positions. And um, a couple of our fellows, for example, I, who applied for our internship, they started programs in college. Wow. So um, it's it's just a really great opportunity uh, for our young, aspiring, diverse leaders to to get build a network because it's not just us. It's not just their mentors. It's the entire community. And it's been hard with COVID because yeah. they like to support each other. And um, the, the, as soon as we can continue to have more in-person events, we will definitely do it because our fellows need it as much as our our mentors. Yeah, there's something about that personal connection that there are so many advantages to things being done virtually. And I think that hybrid combination is probably best for most organizations and entities because you need the, the personal touch of being in person, but you also need the convenience sometimes and that nice balance. Hopefully when things are finally settled down, we can strike a balance there. <laughs> Right. And one of the real important aspects of our program that we haven't really touched on much is the mentor, or not the mentoring, the internships. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, shout outs to to the folks who have given us internships. Uh, Phil Weiser was wonderful at the Attorney General for Colorado. Mm -hmm. He's a great supporter of our program. Uh, He had two internships that he set aside for our students. We had four apply. He gave them four all four offers. And um, we have a great, um, Towards Justice actually gave Mm -hmm. us two paid internships. Wow. And they, and it's because it's reflective of our students. They go in and they say, your students are great. I said, well, we tried to teach them all of those skills, you know, like, like being diligent workers, being conscientious, showing up to work, being personable. And um, little by little, we're getting more and more of those internships. But our kids, as we said, are low income. They all have to work. Mm -hmm. It's hard for them to do a a free internship, but we we explain to them how important it is to have those experiences and that yeah. line on your resume, and then hopefully a letter of recommendation from yep. somebody like Phil Weiser. Um, but Maria, you can probably talk a little bit more about what we're doing in terms of trying to expand our mentor our internship program. We have we've uh, approached various of the law firms here in Colorado, and I think because they have existing internship programs yeah. for law students, they're trying to figure out a model. And I, I have actually prepared and submitted some best practices because the pioneer in internships for law school, Yes We Can, was under the leadership of Sam Walker, the former general counsel of Coors, who Mm -hmm. took two of our fellows um, in 
And his um, leader, his team, actually, I interviewed them and came up with kind of the model of what you would want to do for an internship if you didn't have a, a template before. So we are talking to various of the law firms. Our mentors have been able to get legislative internships for several of our programs. And interestingly enough, we've had a lot of success with nonprofits like Towards Justice. And mm-hmm. there's another nonprofit that is planning to launch an internship for our program in the spring. And I've been in discussions with a couple of other firms who are trying to put it in their budget. And hopefully by the spring of 2022 or the summer, we will have a lot more. I mean, I think when I started, it was a handful. Mm -hmm. And um, when we, again, it's about collecting data, right? And and so I think we got a peak during COVID because everything was online of 15 this year, we're already at 17 and still rolling. And the other great thing is that our a lot of our fellows are, as we alluded to earlier before, interested in giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of them are interested in social justice issues. Yep. And so they end up, if they don't go to law school right away, working in nonprofits in those areas. Um, and But they're also getting the exposure to corporate yep. law and litigation law. And I, when I've spoken to fellows and said, Look, the decision about going to law school, you are, if you, you know, as Judge said, make sure you understand because mm-hmm. it's a much more expensive proposition and it's not easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a tough experience, but it's a great experience. But the skills you learn, you can do anything with that, like the analytical and problem solving and advocacy skills. You can do anything. And mm-hmm. um, so the internships are really important because A, uh, the organizations get to see the caliber of our yeah. fellows. B, our fellows get great experience and learn more of the interpersonal skills of a professional environment as opposed to, you know, like my, many of my jobs, I, you know, was a cashier. I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to say I swept floors in mm-hmm. my first job and cleaned bathrooms and yep. organized Hallmark cards. I When I thought I was going to medical school, I worked in a medical clinic for a summer you know back in the day no one there were no rules about how young you were I started working at like 11 and 12 and just kept going um but it's just really important to provide the experience to our Mm -hmm. fellows and the opportunity and I think a really important aspect that's missed is the cross-cultural mentoring Mm -hmm. like as a diversity practitioner they're the best thing you can do is have cross-functional, inter, you know, yeah. cross-sectional community teams because when you start working with people, you see past all the innate mm-hmm. presumptions, stereotypes, and biases that you have. You start seeing somebody as a person, not as a woman or as a Latino or Latina or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that those who give our fellows internships benefit as much because they start learning about different communities and the younger generation that we all are learning from. Um, So I wanted to put a quick little shout out ask to all of our listeners. I know Maria mentioned it earlier, but definitely there's a few things you can do to support a little bit more. And I'll ask Maria and Judge to to chime in. But I know one of the big asks would be, you know, if you are in a different community outside of the metro, please reach out. So that way maybe we can grow and foster some of these connections and the organization can can touch more lives and more students outside of the metro area. But um. Judge Maria, is there anything else in terms of asking our listeners today how they can support, what they can do? I'll let Maria answer because as a judge, I can't do any oh, asking. Yep, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, in terms of getting involved in the program, we will be taking mentor applications for the coming class of 2022 at the end of the year and early next okay. year. Um, please, I encourage everyone to look at our website in, uh, you know, lawschoolyeswecan.org, because I think when you see the stories of our fellows and read some of their blogs, you'll be inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, we would love to have our listeners give to Law School Yes We Can in whatever amount. Mm-hmm. It's not the amount. It's just participating as a supporter in our program on Colorado Gives Day. And then again, any contacts, any outreach, any suggestions, whether it's for um, fundraising or getting involved in our program. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, bo- board members in different areas, but we love having uh, individuals volunteer and get to know about our program so that we can build a pipeline for future board members as well, or any young professionals that might be out there interested in joining our YPN group. 
Judge, anything else you want to let our listeners know before uh, we start wrapping up? Well, I'd just like to first thank you, Annie, for inviting us to to talk about law school. Yes, we can. Uh, And I would just say we couldn't do it without you all. Honestly, yes, we've worked hard, but without your your support as mentors, as just supporters, as uh, people who teach our workshops for us, all of the volunteer work that we have, hundreds of volunteers who support this, it makes me proud to be a Coloradan. It truly does to see how you all have come together to support this very important mission. Maria, do you have anything you want to add? It's a tough one to follow. Absolutely (laughs) tough one. Just thank you for the opportunity to talk about our program and create more awareness because it's really one of a kind and we're happy to share with other organizations who want to expand on it and replicate it. Well, thank you to you both for being here in the studio and for giving of your time. I know both of you are very busy. Um, And this was, I think, just the loveliest way to be able to close out our series of podcasts for um, Hispanic Heritage Month in terms of highlighting two prominent Latinas who have led in different ways and capacities such an amazing organization that's giving back and really working to level the playing field, as you said, Judge, and That's going to be just important for all of us going forward to have a more equitable state, to have a state of individuals that really represent the community in these positions of change and power. And so I want to thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I want to give everyone mil gracias for being um, active listeners for Bienvenidos, our limited series podcast for Hispanic Heritage Month with the DBA-CBA. Again, Annie Martinez, it's been a pleasure to be able to kind of guide us through these discussions these last few weeks. Um, If you have any questions or if you ever want to reach out to me, again, I serve as the DBA second vice president. My email address is Annie at BridgeLegalSolutions.com. And please get involved with the Colorado Hispanic Bar Association, with the Colorado Bar and the Denver Bar Associations. These are organizations designed to really give you a home and a sense of community and support in ways that maybe other organizations or outlets really just can't. And so there's a lot to be uh, taken advantage of here. And hopefully I'll get to see some of you at some of our events, particularly the last event of Hispanic Heritage Month at La Rumba. It'll be October 16th, uh, I mean 15th, it'll be uh, Friday. And so hope to see many of you there and we'll be getting our dancing shoes and having a good time to close out the month and we'll be celebrandoing juntos and thank you all so much for your time. Bienvenidos, a CBA DBA limited series podcast celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month has been brought to you by the Colorado and Denver Bar Associations. On behalf of your host, Annie Martinez, thank you for listening. Gracias por acompañarnos hoy.